open and shut like those Is you a friend or foe? And you ain't know They got me stressed out on death row I seen money for baby, I got to get more Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that has news for you. I know, it's getting rough out there to come up with content. Now, if you use this interview with Robert Mueller as content for your pinball podcast show, it's pronounced Canada. So thank you very much, Dennis Creasel, for sourcing me on this interview. I really appreciate it, buddy. So here's, you're going to get Robert Mueller. He's going to come on soon. Now, before I air Robert Mueller's interview, I want to just talk about something I asked the Facebook community yesterday, and I did a live Canada's Pinball podcast, and if you haven't, if you haven't liked Canada's Pinball podcast on Facebook, I implore you to. A few times a week, I will do live shows. I'll keep them up there so you can see them after the fact, but I asked the people a very simple question. How many of you are underwhelmed by the pinball games that are available today? And unanimously, everyone said they are. And I think that is really the genesis of why there's excitement for Deep Root Pinball. I know there's anxiety. I know there's speculation. But if most people out there are are, truly are honest with themselves, it's not that they don't enjoy the pinball offerings that are available today from mostly Stern Pinball. It's just that they're not fully satiated with the games and they don't want to only have the options in front of them. They want there to be another player in the pinball industry besides Stern and Jersey Jack, right? Chicago Gaming, yes, but they're remakes of older games. They want a contemporary new pin that gives them something that just makes them feel something. It clicks with them. It doesn't only have to be a licensed theme, but I just think they want a legitimate competitor to Stern Pinball, to Jersey Jack Pinball, and just a third offering would be really, really nice. And American Pinball has failed to do that. And if you look at the games from 2019, I mean, really, just look at the Twippy Awards. Look at everything that was up for awards, and you start to realize, wow, like an entire year went by in pinball, and that was it. You had Willy Wonka, and you had Jurassic Park battling it out. And everything else was like a distant third. Everything else. And, and so for all the effort and all the energy going into pinball, how can this be it? Now look, it's clear that Deep Root Pinball doesn't have some ginormous theme coming out of the gate. They've got Raza. You're going to hear about that. You're going to hear about the plans for Raza and, and what the strategy is to launch that game. I also have been reading Pinside in which people are saying that Canada is going to lob up softball questions for Robert Mueller. And I don't, and I asked about the stuff that happened on Pinside, but here's the point I want to make. Some people out there, they want me to go out there and and attack this man and, and aggressively tear down Deep Root Pinball. And you saw what I did with Highway Pinball. You saw how strident I was in going after Highway Pinball because Highway Pinball was lying to people who pre ordered the game. Highway Pinball was staging manufacturing photos that were fake. Highway Pinball wasn't paying rent in in multiple locations. And even if some of that is happening, maybe at Deep Root, and I don't know the financials, the truth is this. How many of you pre-ordered a game with Deep Root? How many of you are owed an answer by Robert Mueller? If you were in on Zidware Games, how many of you, how many of you raised your hand and asked for a refund and, and he gave it to you. He wrote a check to individuals. So we're at the point now where I think anyone complaining and crying about Deep Root Pinball is a little misguided. Now look, if people pre-ordered these games, if the investment capital that was given to Deep Root came from customers, absolutely these interviews would be a lot more uh, strident and harsh and hard-hitting. But I'm not here to take down a man who's who's doing what he wants with the capital he raised. It wasn't your capital, so as far as I'm concerned, you have no right to demand blood from a man who who doesn't owe you anything. And it's quite clear to me, as I look at this entire landscape of Deep Root Pinball, that their ambitions were bigger than they should have been at the beginning. And you're going to hear some of that. And that ultimately, when you hear stuff like, we want to do things that haven't been done before in pinball, We're going to do something that's going to break records in pinball. The thing is this. 
And Robert knows this. It doesn't matter what you say. You only get to break records. You only get to do something that's never been done before in pinball if you actually do it and cross the finish line and you have to let consumers buy the things that you're dreaming up. Because if it's just in a prototype stage and if it's just something that's happening behind closed doors, nobody cares. And I work in an industry very much full of creative ideas. But if you don't execute your ideas, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. And I think that's where we're at right now with Deep Root. We've heard a lot about the platform. We've heard a lot about the team. We've heard a lot about the innovations. And we're at the point now where people are just saying, ship the game. Show us the game. What is What makes this thing so special? What makes this thing so worth it? right? All the years, all the money. What? Show us what you got, right? And and you're going to hear from Robert on when that might be and, and, when, and what you might expect and, and the cadence of things to happen at Deep Root Pinball, all right? Now, look, before we, the, the last point I want to make is this. Some of you, and I've been reading Pinside, some of you people are so still in denial about the world in which we live in right now. And it's unbelievable to me, 6.7 more people filed for unemployment, 6.7 million more people on top of the already existing, I think, 10 million people. And yet you still have these clowns on pin side saying, see, we're all getting back to normal. We're all getting back to normal. The truth is this. The truth is this. If we start to flatten the curve, if we start to stop the spread, if the casualty rate is lower than they were projecting. That's because social distancing is working. That's because people staying at home is working. It doesn't mean come May, everyone runs right back out. It doesn't mean we turn on the baseball stadiums, the football stadiums. It doesn't mean uh, the Olympics is going to happen. It doesn't mean your haunted house is going to do well this fall. It's not. Large gatherings in crowds before there is any vaccine before there is any cure, which there won't be, before there is any treatment that makes people not feel like they're going to potentially get sick or infect someone they love, it's not going to go back to the way it was anytime soon. And I love the ignorance of people on Pinside who think that is going to be the case. Who the hell is going to risk the lives of people they love to go to a, a bar and play pinball machines? Or go to a stadium and root a baseball team on. I mean, we, everyone thinks baseball is boring to begin with. Now it's boring and you can die from it. No one's ever going to do it. And a very large portion of our population are boomers, are people we love, are people you love. So why would you ever jeopardize them for your ignorance and your desires to watch stock markets go up and down and your desires to capitalize on the misfortunes of others? And, and, and you know who you are, and, 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 I'm, and I'm still laughing at the ignorance of some of these people that just don't get it. It's because of the people that are doing their civic duty that we are starting to see signs of, of progress. But the foolish man thinks, all right, we've beat this. Go back and just live the way we used to live, and, and everyone will be fine, and we'll just accept all those deaths because you know those people were, were, were chosen by Darwin not to survive. Absolutely stupid, okay? All right, anything else going on in pinball before we air this? I heard that Black Knight, Black Knight has a new music package. Great. Why do they keep making changes to this game? Nobody's buying Black Knights. Doesn't matter how good the topper is. Doesn't matter what you do with the music. Didn't this game just win best music and callouts? Didn't it just win that award? And they're switching up the music again. They can polish that turd of a game 18 different ways. It doesn't matter. I heard it loud and clear from you guys. You're not super satisfied with the offerings out in the world. And this is why we're excited to see what Guns N' Roses is, what Ninja Turtles is, what Deep Root is cooking up. We're excited to see what CGC has got coming next. We want, I, there's, just, there's just this desire to see something new that makes people all giddy. So let's air this interview. I, I thank Robert for joining the show. I thank all of you for listening to Canada's Pinball Podcast. It doesn't even feel like we've missed a step. The world's number one pinball podcast voted that way by all of you. Thank you so much. It does mean a lot. And everyone else out there, I'm still loving your shows. I wish there were more shows 
We haven't talked about it, but there's like half the amount of content now. Half the amount of content there was in January. And I don't know. Was this the grand plan? This, and I'm asking, like, we need to get more people on the airwaves. Wasn't that the whole point was to have off-the-record podcasts that other people could contribute? We were going to give a platform. Half the amount of shows. But the one show that's not going anywhere, the one show that's not going to try and, and, and just sort of talk about the same old stuff, we're going to go after the stories of the day. And if we can't do that, at least we'll entertain you and we won't stop. And I keep saying we because it's Canada and Chris and I've got a dual personality and you know that and that's why you love this show. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk to the man who runs Deep Root Studios. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us, the sort of missing link from the March puzzle of Pinball Reveals, Mr. Robert Mueller from Deep Root Studios. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to be back. Uh, it definitely is an unprecedented, uh, just crazy time for everyone, isn't it? It sure was. And I know that TPF got canceled and you were still holding on for a little bit. What what was it like working to reach that March 25th reveal moment only to have it destroyed by this pandemic? You know, it was, uh, it was definitely a gut punch. Some people have said, wow, you know, COVID-19 was the best thing that ever happened to you. So you can use it as an excuse. And I can tell you, just like every other business out there who's been working for years on something amazing and almost to the point where they can finally show the world and get it off their shoulders. And then suddenly it's ripped away from them. Uh, and I feel yet again, because it's been a year delay since we wanted to be at TPF in 2019. And and so to have it ripped away again has just been, it's been gut-wrenching for all of us here. But we're remotivated, we're passionate still. And when this mess passes, as, as it will pass, we'll get back to uh, to making sure that pinball's gonna come back and it's gonna come back strong and, and deeper will be a part of that. Now, now Robert, Getting to that March 25th date, because out of all the companies, I, th I think you operate in secret, in the shadows. What was it like getting to that date? So were you ready to go? Did you guys have plenty of time to pop open corks of champagne or was it down to the wire? And what was it like in you know December, January, February as you guys were working towards that reveal date? Yeah, we thought everything was a go. But then towards the end of January, and I think that all manufacturers can, can commiserate on this, is um, losing China to travel issues, supply issues, transportation, cargo issues uh, was a big blow to us. We were waiting on a lot of uh, orders and parts. And after COVID situation shut down China essentially and shut off that supply chain, we had to go around the world and even here domestically. And you know, costs went up, trying to get lead times down, trying to get vendors to, to get us stuff that we needed um, for launch uh, became sort of a mad dash in February. And then in March, about mid-March, right right around when you know TPF announced that they were not able to hold it any uh, further for safety. At that point, we, we were getting to the issue ourselves is even if we were to get over the safety and health issues of COVID and you know violate the, the local orders of San Antonio and Bear County that we're in eventually uh, did to stay at home, uh, we would have still had supply chain issues. And so it was just after all that work, spending crazy amounts of money trying to get ready for launch, dis despite all of that, it would have definitely been a challenge and probably not uh, have been possible given what we know now in the supply chain. And so everyone's going to be impacted by this, not not just Deep Root, but every pinball manufacturer. Most of them, Robert, have parts coming from overseas, correct? I, I think it's a mix. Uh, I think even though some parts might come from overseas, they're, they're assembled or compiled here in some form or fashion. Okay. Is it financially super difficult to make a pinball machine with every part made in the USA? Is that, is that cost prohibitive? There's no way I know that anyone could do it unless, okay. you know, they if, if they tried to do it and worked really hard um, with vendors uh, here in the U.S., et cetera, to have a made in U USA pinball, it'd be very difficult to not still have some parts that might come from overseas, especially China. And I'm sure they would take the the bottom basement prices, you know, of manufacturing, you know, four or five, six thousand dollars. It would it would double it or more. So, okay. Now we don't know a lot about the deep root system. Right? We, I haven't seen the hood popped on the machine. So, the boards that are in a deep root game are are those being manufactured overseas or here? So we have an SMT line here. That's a whole whole side story that I'm not going to get into at this point. Uh, it's 
it's down currently, which is was part of our problem for some of our boards for reasons outside of the scope of our talk today. But um, it did cause a problem in that we were completely reliant on Chinese component and, and board manufacturers to deliver those boards. When we found that they couldn't, then going domestically was, was very difficult because uh, it's extremely costly to get low uh, volume runs here in the U.S., and those low-volume runs are, tend to have more uh, errors and issues and have longer lead times. And so that's what we had to do, and we did it, and we got all the boards finally in, I believe, this last week, just interestingly enough, you know, well after the launch date. And so, you know, at least we have boards for 15 games. That is, you know, the number of games we're planning to bring to uh, TPF. And we've been already for several weeks trying to work with our Chinese partners, again, to get more permanent uh, and higher volume orders in so we can we can start that manufacturing as quick as possible as soon as this uh, supply chain corrects itself. Gotcha. Now, let's imagine a world in which COVID-19 did not appear, which is hard to do for everybody. But let's say we go on the schedule of March 25th. What would people have seen when they walked through the door of Deeper on March 25th? Uh, we were, you know, it wasn't going to be, you know, some extravagant festival or, or event, but, you know, we wanted to, to have a balance of welcoming people to our home, letting them see what was behind the curtains, and then showing them what we've been working on for the last three years. Uh, and of course, having a lot of games to play, having some new innovations to, uh, to get people excited and to play around with. And especially, I think, to show off a lot of the people behind the scenes that no one outside of Deep Root really knows that have you know, worked very passionately, very hard for a long time. So for us, it, it meant a lot. And, you know, we even had, you know, very high end video production uh, crew ready to go that was going to, uh, you know, edit on the fly and broadcast this and make sure that everyone in the world could be a part of that celebration. And when you say games ready to play, are, are we talking multiple games or many versions of Raza on the floor to play? Uh, both. Okay, so we're, we were actually going to see another another title or two. Yeah, so uh, Jeff and I had some fun putting uh, some hints on uh, one of our future releases when he did the, well, I guess it was for not, but he did the sort of the showdown to, to TPF, etc., and uh, we were going to definitely uh, have some fun letting people flip that, which is the first time it's ever happened in the history of pinball is to have a virtual table made into a physical table, which is very difficult to do. It's, it's not easy at all. So. so this is, is this the Space Cadet game? Am I making that up? Because I, I saw the image there and we talked about it on the show. Is, was, is that one of the potential titles? Uh, it, it is and it isn't. Um, okay. And uh, so getting a virtual table which is not subject to normal physics right and dimensional you know sort of spaces that we have and can work with pinball is very difficult to get the right flow of the ball and so the layout for 3d space cadet which is the first game that i fell in love with pinball over um, and i know is is meaningful to a lot of other people out there it was very important to me that we we have a physical representation of that in one of our games so barry Asler did the impossible and got the geometry and the physics to work. We, we tried it first to get the license and we got tired of dealing with EA and Microsoft because no one really wanted to deal with it and we didn't want to deal with them anymore over the license issues or for a threat of future suits over that. So we've rethemed it, but uh, the theme that we've, we've used for it, which I, I won't announce at this point, we will at launch, but um, the theme we have, I think, is going to take that layout and make an amazingly fun game. And it's going to be a theme that I can't believe has never been done in pinball before. And so it's going to be fun. We, we've even licensed our own dramatic music that you would normally hear in like a trailer to a movie. It'll be the first pinball machine ever that will use live action CGI, just as you know, as you see in, in the big budget movies. And so it's going to be a, it's going to be a grand theme. And we, we hope for that theme to come out sometime in early 2021. OK, so let's talk about we see Raza March 25th. What was the plan from revealing it on that date? And, and, and Robert, were, were we going to see the final Raza? Was that going to happen or were there still things to be done on the game? No, you, you would have seen all of the additions that we will make of Raza. You would have learned the price points uh, and you would have learned the the very limited time that we were going to be offer, offering Raza for sale as well as 
shipping and ordering information. And what was the ballpark of order today, get it by when? If it had gone forward, the first Brazos would have been delivered to customers by the end of this month. Damn it. All right. So, and that would have been one of the, assuming the boards and the supply chain issues were not there, right? All this is a hypothetical that there wasn't a pause on on, on, on parts. Correct. Let's talk about, in terms of Raza, and, and what have you learned from watching uh, Spooky Pinballs, Rick and Morty fly off the shelves at the four hours sold out versus Hot Wheels versus P3? Have you have you decided on a strategy for Raza, knowing that it's an original theme of a, a J-pop game? Is it going to be a limited, more high-end kind of game, or are you going to do three-tiered model? I know we would have learned some of this, but how are you planning to launch this game with what you've learned in the industry over the last couple of years? I, I think that, and I've said this before, we've learned a lot by looking at what other people are doing. And while I disagree on some things such as theme is everything, and I, I look, I love Charlie to death, but I, I think that you know, every manufacturer has created their own niche and they've created their own problems for themselves, right? And while, you know, I'm, I'm ecstatic that Charlie has a great hit, uh, he's going to have a lot of time that he's going to have to keep people on the hook to, to get those delivered. And that creates its own issue. And so why I'm bringing that up is not to say anything about Charlie because Charlie knows I love him to death uh, and I, I wish him only the best. The reason why I'm bringing up that example is the last thing that Jeep wants is to get caught in our own Rick and Morty situation with Raza. And that is having so many orders from Raza that it stops up the line too long and we're not able to progress to the many other titles that we're working on. And so Raza is meant to be, it was never meant, I think, years ago to be our launch title, but it became what it became. And so we want to create the best Raza possible for for buyers of the deep root platform and for raza and then we want to move on to our other games shortly thereafter okay is it a volume title is it a collectible more high-end title is it where does it fall because you know we've got rick and morty at 750 units right sold out in four hours at around eight nine thousand dollars you've got games stern pros are six i think we all know that it's nowhere near a stern pro there's more in it and we talked about that last time right that people who played Raza can attest that there's a lot going on in the game. Where are you volume-wise that doesn't make you nervous? Like what what amount roughly, and you can talk ballpark, we can make this many comfortably and then get on to the next because we've got a lot in the pipeline. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, look, I it, it's, it's hard because, you know, if I were to say we don't want to make more than 500 units, then people are saying, oh, well, he's just, you know, downplaying it and and undercutting it just so if they don't sell more than 500. And, and the answer, of course, is no. Uh, there's many other ways that, that I could do that, right? But I would be, uh, what I'll say is I will be upset if we have to make more than, than 500 Raza. Okay. Because I, I think in, in the capacity um, that we have and why we're doing Raza now, the internal goals of using Raza to start our lineup, work out the kinks, et cetera, uh, more than 500, I think, would unnecessarily tie us down. But, you know, if we if we sell 750 to 1,000, we're going to have to make the hard decision of where where we're going to have to cut that those orders off to. Right. Now, you, you saw with Spooky, there's this, we're making 750 Rick and Mortys, and that's it. And part of that limit, and that's all we're ever going to make, makes there a rush to get one, right? There's that fear of missing out, which always plays well in the pinball marketplace. Have you looked at that, Robert? And if you if you put a number at Raza and it sells out in a few hours, are you comfortable saying, let's just make it something special and, and move on to the next? Because we've got a lot of special games. There's the Jersey Jack approach in which you say it's limited, it sells out, and then you do another run and another <laughs> limited version and another limited version. No, we when we're it's kind of difficult because if you were to understand what our edition or models were, you would you would completely understand and I wouldn't need to, to beat around the bush, but for now I'll do my best to explain it this way. And that is we will never need to rerun a title no matter how amazing that title is. And so as a result, uh, we want people to go for the edition that makes the most sense for them. And there'll be a lot of very unique things in some editions and other editions will be more price conscious. We're not going to go against, you know, the the same systems that are working for other manufacturers, we're just going to do it in Deep Roots way. Uh, and we think that this is what 
the way we're do- going to do it has been what everyone has been complaining about, all these other systems that we've found, I think, the right mix and match that's going to create a lot of and drive a lot of sales for us. Gotcha. Now, how how are you going to sell Raza? Do you have a, a distribution network set up? Is it through DeepRoot? When you hit go on, on the sales and let's say 500 are available, how do how, how do you envision people getting these games? So I think it doesn't make a lot of sense to to focus on the distributor model, especially at first when direct sales are cheaper and they're definitely much easier. That's domestically within the U.S. Internationally, it makes all the sense in the world to go with distribution partners who have a physical and legal presence uh, and can deal with all kinds of international or intra-country issues that we don't want to deal with definitely from here. Um, so their expertise and their ability to distribute uh, in an international sense is, is probably going to be very important for us. But here domestically, I would say that most of our sales will be direct. We, we've spoken with several distributors. I think that we've listened to some of the things they like about some of the other manufacturer policies. And, and definitely we've heard a lot about things they don't like. And so we've taken all that in. And I think that we're going to take and dip our toe in the distributor model to see what works and what doesn't. But it's not going to be a majority of our orders up front. Okay. Now, when I look at distributors, I, I, I sometimes there, there's also the notion that they have clientele and they have customers and they're almost like a mobile sales force for, for a manufacturer. Is there any concern, Robert, that if you don't turn on that distribution channel, that all these guys who have clients who are buying Stern machines and everything new from Jersey Jack, that they won't be selling your product for you? Is it, do you does it make sense to turn that sales force off that if it's there as a potential way to excite customers? No, there, there are so many examples of how distribution systems through distributors, et cetera, vary amongst other industries. I mean, look at auto manufacturers, look at, you know, bikes, for instance, and all kinds of products and all kinds of industries. And what we've done is we've taken a look at what's working and not working in a lot of these other industries. And we think that our distributor, at least the initial distributor plan, will pique enough interest to get some on board and going. But, you know, it's like the 80-20 rule. I mean, I would not be surprised if 20% of the distributors are, are, are selling 80% of the product out there. And so we, we don't need to sign up a lot of distributors to saturate the market there, given that rule. What we want to do is we want to be competitive uh, you know, with our competitors, with the distributors, treat them fairly, take care of them and their customers, and those distributors will, will in turn be loyal and, and take care of us. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, there's been... A lot of time that's passed since the Houston Arcade Expo in which we saw the prototype of Raza. How much, if anything, has changed on what we've seen? I I know the cabinet's going to be different. The art packages are going to be different on the cabinet. Has anything in the game changed? I know you got a lot of feedback about gameplay and whatnot, all the notes that were taken by the Deep Root team. What's gone on with the game since then? Yeah, so I think the biggest one is is sort of the ramp. I think that we had a big powwow over that, especially listening to some of the feedback from my comments that it was supposed to be hard. And you know, I've I've also listened to the, the very difficult uh, explanations on something like a Rick and Morty upper, you know, um, flipper shot about you know, well, you know, this and that. I mean, it just doesn't at the end of the day make any sense to 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 create something that has that much. Uh, negativity around it. So we lowered the ramps. They still look amazing. I don't think anyone's even going to be able to to notice, especially on the circular ramp. And, and basically, if you can't make it on a regular basis, then you probably should just stop playing pinball at this point. We made it so easy. Okay. And as a result, we've had to change some of the code because uh, parts of the code that Steve um, Bowden kind of engineered was to take advantage of failed uh, failed shot up, up, the, up the ramp. And so since we're making it much easier and more satisfying more often, you know, I know that he's gone back to the drawing board and, and come up with some other neat ideas to to adjust to that. The artwork uh, definitely on the play field and especially on the cabinet, et cetera, we're all, we're all placeholder or old art. There will be two art packages and there'll be another two based upon those two, based upon which edition uh, that you go with. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity for, for people, especially on Raza, to go more nebula, spacey, or to go more, um, uh, you know, green, green radiation, smoke, and amusement parky. 
Wait, did you just say there's so there's two art packages and then two variations of those two? Yes. Okay. All right, so there's going to be some customizable ability with this game to to order the game the way you want. You could say that, yes. All right, I just did. It sounds like that's what it is. Okay, so and this game code-wise, we we always hear where's the code? How will the code be? How how far along were you during the March plan? Is it almost done? Is it near complete? Is there work to be done? I believe you could play through two full modes, and I, I don't remember how many modes Steve has now in it. I think it's like six to eight. So playing through the two full modes would be something that very few pinball players would probably be able to do with three balls. Uh, it may be an extra ball here or there. So our goal is to try to um, look at the range, uh, the bell curve, you know, of players. And most players uh, in, their, in their ball time, et cetera, and try to, at launch, get enough in there so most players are going to, to, to have a lot to experience and to work on. And then update that code over time to add all of the other features uh, and stuff like that. I think that saying code is 100% at shipping is basically just a nebulous thing. I mean, who, who knows what that means? And we're not going to assign like numbers to it like Stern where, okay, is, is this really complete? Is it not complete just because it's close to one but not one? And so um, we're going to try to take a different approach on that. Since our update system, we could update it, you know, every five minutes if we wanted to. For us, code being complete is, is less about the code itself and more about the experience and about future updates where we add new features, et cetera, to it. Speaking of experience, I'm just curious because you're in a unique position, Robert, where you have access to new pinball that the world has never really played or enjoyed in its fullest potential. Do you still get excited every time you jump on Raza? Are you just antsy to let everyone see what you've been working on? What's it feel like having that kind of constant access to something that no one else gets to play? Yeah, that's interesting. I think in some ways, I, I think that I'm in a very unique position. I, I run and have built from scratch multiple industry divisions, right? From engineering to coding to, to Unity development um, to graphic design, concept art, animation, I mean, very few people do this. And I can tell you, I've lost years of my life trying to do this from scratch and, and you know, and, and get everyone to the finish line. So I am going to get tired. Uh, I'm going to lose some passion one, now and again, especially after it's you know dragged on for th th three and a half years. Th that's just a normal human being dealing with a lot of very stressful and complex things. Um, it doesn't change what a lot of people hate me saying about pinball. And that is that pinball, you know, uh, you know, being hard should not be an excuse for anyone. And it doesn't change that I'm still passionate about pinball as much as I've always been, right? I might not play pinball as much just because I'm so busy with other things. But to answer your question specifically, when I, when I pull up a Raza and, and I'm playing and I go, wow, we, we created this as a team from nothing, right? I get the same passion reinvigorating me and re-energizing me that all the other you know, design teams and all the other manufacturers get to have when they've worked so hard on something and they finally get to take advantage of it and they see it come to light. And for us, it's not just, you know, having the next game or theme out. It, it's, it's, you know, many, many games and a platform that no one's ever been able to do before and taking, you know, uh, and re, re, you know, defining pinball um, from what we've known pinball to be from the last, you know, 100 years. I mean, I, I get Jerry's passion and excitement, you know, up in Austin. And he's, he's, he has, you know, really uh, pushed the envelope in many ways. And uh, I, I respect Jerry completely for all of the innovation and all the hard work and, and going out there and taking the risk to really trying to take pinball in a direction that he feels that he wants to see it go. And we've done no different here at Deep Root. And I can tell you from talking with Jerry behind the scenes, he's just distressed and frustrated and, and demotivated sometimes as I am. And I'm sure every manufacturer, I know Charlie, I've had discussions with him with the same, every manufacturer, you know, behind the scenes, you're going to have and have to deal with lots of drama, lots of stress, things not going your way, and having to, you know, to, to keep pounding it and, and to make it happen, right? And so I have a lot of respect um, for, for all the people behind the scenes in pinball and all that they have to do uh, to, to bring something to market. 
we know that the three J-pop games are are somewhere in the roster, and you've mentioned that. What's it look like for for Magic Girl? What's it look like for Alice in Wonderland with Deep Roots platform bringing these games to life? Some of them have lived out in the real world. Some of them are still just foam core, beautiful art packages. Are are they coming? Are all three going to make it out? So I think J-pop specifically on his games will likely have some other games that he's been working on since uh, joining Deep Root. Uh, that will come out before Magic Girl and Alice in Wonderland. And it just has to do with the complexity of those two games and where they fit into uh, a very a very complex pipeline. So, Was there ever a moment, Robert, when, when just because just you work with John and, and you have a, a window into his mind more than the rest of us, was there ever a moment when he just like looked over Magic Girl and is like, I don't know what the F I was doing with this section here. Like, was, did he ever just come clean and like admit that the enchanted hair area or the vertical upkick that shot the ball through the glass? Like, was there ever a moment where he just kind of said, I need some help? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I think J-Pop is a very passionate guy, as we all are, maybe in, in very unique ways uh, for him. I, I think he sees all of his games like a lot of designers do. They're They're his baby. And and, you know, I, I know as an estate planning attorney many years ago, uh, I would I would meet with, you know, couples especially, and I would ask them or kind of poke them and about, you know, which child is your favorite, you know, so we can put them as, you know, the 100% beneficiary cutting everyone else out and just to kind of see what their reaction was. And usually you, you get a range of reactions, right? And and more often than not, even, even parents who are disappointed with a lot of their kids' decisions and stuff will still at the end of the day love them and treat them uh, as fairly and equally as other kids. And I think that for J-pop, you know, all the work and passion he put into uh, all of his titles, including something like a magic girl, it's very difficult for him to be unbiased uh, when when he's talking about it uh, in, in many cases reverence. The thing I've done is try to keep J-pop focused at all times on other things. Is that possible? Is it possible to keep him focused? He seems like a creative, scattered mind, even when I've talked to him. Look, I I think he's very different public than he is in private. I think that a lot of the stories uh, were very much embellished from the Williams Valley days. Uh, but I also think that when they weren't, um, that he's a much older, mature man who's been very humbled in many ways. And uh, all I know is from the people who work here, as well as all the other designers that we've had, is that he can get a little eccentric at time, but it's because he's passionate about what he's doing. And that's very much respected. Speaking of designers, I have to ask, because it's it's front page news, apparently, after I broke the rumor, Dennis Norman has departed. Yeah, he left in December. Okay. And has he worked on anything that might see the light of day, although he's not still currently there? Yes. Okay. And was it was it a good departure? Was it just mutual? Was it just time to move on for him? I mean, he's he's joined and left other places as well. I'm just curious if that had any significant impact on your plans. So um, I have a lot of strong opinions on on Dennis and on on his departure, but he and I agreed. And for me, I'm going to keep my part of it, even though I, I don't know why. I'm being told by so many people that they knew about this months ago when no one should have. In fact, most employees at Deeper didn't even know he had left. But for my part, I'm going to keep the promise I made to Dennis, and I'm not going to talk uh, about his departure or reasons why or what, what my feelings are. Do you think he'll regret it when you guys finally get stuff out? I don't know if Dennis will allow himself to regret it, but um, I, I hope that... He will work with us and try to make the most out of the titles he did make for us, titles that we're very passionate about, uh, and and we hope that he's still very passionate about. Gotcha. Okay, so let's talk titles. So obviously, Robert, and we were talking earlier about, I've been doing my exposés, and I haven't skipped over Deep Root, but I've done a show on Deep Root before, and, and You've gone on record for saying some, I'll say it now, some insane claims about how many games a year are going to come out from Deep Root. Knowing what you know now and knowing, I think you've been humbled through this process, what's your new target for amount of titles you want to see within a six month to a year period from Deep Root? I think, um, I, I think if we were to go back and you were to ask me that question a couple months ago before COVID-19, 
I would say that we were capable of putting out nine to 10 games a year, which would have broken the all-time record. I think with COVID-19 now, I think it's going to be all the manufacturers are going to be uh, tiptoeing back to see if the unrealistic sales that were happening before for new inbox games is still there or not. And if it's there for how, how strong or how weak is that supply and demand uh, equilibrium point right now? Right. And nobody knows. So everyone has to do a little bit of a reset, right? In every industry, no matter where you are, the playbook gets thrown out the window. I, my, my team at work, we did a top 10 moments of 2020, Robert, that we predicted would be opportunities for brands. And I yelled at my guy last week. I'm like, where the F was this virus in our top 10 moments of 2020? Because <laughs> yeah. it destroyed everything. It was like Olympics, March Madness, all these things happening that are not happening. So a more realistic, let's say, let's just say hypothetically, we turn back on part supplies and we turn back on the ability for companies to manufacture and get their workforces back into their facilities. Let's say we turn this thing back on in July. Do you think we'll see Raza before the fall? Uh, my, my, um, my directive to my team is, is to be ready for launch at any, at any time. And as we read the tea leaves, uh, you know, at this point, we don't have to have a big, crazy launch at this point tied with, you know, another event like TPF. If we need to turn it on in, in, in seven days or 10 days or whatever uh, and get, you know, the video crew back in here and get everything ready to go, then I want my team to be ready to go at a moment's notice uh, and to be able to have machines off the line in, in box and, and ready to go for sale. So that, that's been our goal. Uh, I, I'm sure that every other manufacturing is, is, is probably, you know, trying to do the same thing and trying to come out of the gates sprinting and, and swinging, trying to get the most of what's out there. Uh, my hope is that people who put their money into pinball will, will take a little breath, uh, look at what their budget looks like, and then if they have some extra money they want to throw in the pinball machines – take a look at, at what's available. And, and I'm hoping um, that everything we've done here at Deep Root will, will give the best darn argument to, to spend their money with Deep Root. And how many titles, how many options do you want to give people on day one? Is it Raza and a couple other games? Is it? It's only Raza. Okay. Well, that, it makes sense. I would never sell two games on one day. I just, I just wanted to make sure that wasn't the, the, the plan. Uh, okay. So everyone's ready to go. Now we, I have to talk about what happened on Pinside, and I know we, we all have feelings about that site. Uh, someone who used to work there came on, shared some stuff in, in, a, in a few abbreviated sentences about he quit, people weren't paid at a certain time, and you've scaled up big in Utah. And talk to me, Robert, about what happened there and how you feel about that. And does that disrupt your plan and the morale for anyone over there? And what do you think that does to the community who has been in speculation mode forever around this company? Yeah, so I'm not gonna get into a lot of detail about this employee who broke many very important covenants uh, that any employee has to a company, especially you know very publicly like he did. Uh, I don't know why he decided to hurt his fellow friends and, and employees, uh, you know, at Deep Root by doing something so stupid like that. But the law, our law firm is involved. Um, I'm, I'm at least thankful that this person, you know, retracted it, although it appears that he's been private messaging other people. So we'll deal with it in the legal way that we'll need to, just like any employer would in, in that situation. We've worked very hard behind the scenes to make this a great place to work and to, to keep morale high. Some things haven't gone our way. And, you know, I've said that in the past in several interviews. And uh, it's no different with any other manufacturer or company in this industry or any other uh, industry out there. Uh, employment drama and drama behind the scenes with, you know, the workplace or the project and, and concerns about whether, you know, this is going to work or that's going to work or normal things that happen most of the time never see the light of day. Uh, in the pinball industry and other industries, there's obviously been very public uh, employment situations. And it's just one of those things that we all have to deal with. Uh, being, uh, and, you know, being the captain of the ship is never an enviable position. Uh, I think a lot of employees think it is when you know, they, they compare paychecks. But believe me, I'm making less than minimum wage for all the time and energy that I'm spending trying to, uh, to support them and support the project. 
Really, all I really want to say about that, I mean, it won't be the last time that you're going to have someone violate uh, their legal covenants in a very nasty, trashy way. Uh, and you're going to have, uh, you know, low lives man children that are going to cheer and support them. Uh, I, I don't know why that they're into a hobby that they want to see destroyed and trashed. It's just, I guess every hobby is full of people like that. But um, it is what it is. You know, nothing really has changed here. Uh, we're taking care of the employees the best way we can, just as every other employer. Um, we're not going to lay off anybody, uh, unlike many other very big employers and, and not so big employers right now. And so we're going to keep doing that. And we're loyal to our employees and, and they're loyal back to us. And we're going to keep keep moving toward launching and getting this off the ground and putting some great pinball machines out there. The studio in, in Utah, Robert, because that's, that's public information. You guys occupied... I think the sixth floor, maybe another floor. And it's public information that that was a, a big area of Deep Roots Entertainment Studio Division. Looking at that now, because I know you guys have moved into a smaller location in Utah, correct? Yes. Do you ever feel, and if you look at it, I mean, there's a lot of team members, there's the studios, there's the pinball operation. Are you starting to streamline this to, to focus more on, on getting these machines out, getting that income from pinball and, and sort of re reducing some of the scale of the ancillary things happening at Deep Root? So um, I think the you have to be flexible when you're captain of the ship. And no matter how much you want things sometimes, reality is always going to tell you what's possible. And I think that while we've scaled up and down in Utah and in Texas, I think at the end of the day, uh, we always have to be willing to make hard decisions about what's the best um, um, direction for it. And I think that uh, you're absolutely right, is that we came to a decision while we want to continue a lot of our other endeavors um, with the Utah studios and, and the gaming and art, animation, uh, you know, and VR and, and AR and everything that we're doing up there. It makes the most sense right now for them and for the company to focus first on pinball, get that done. We, we check the box, we get a win, and then we start adding the other stuff um, instead of diverting our attention and our goals. And, um, you know, that's we've had to do that several times uh, as we've dealt with, you know, the, the finance division that we have here and how much money they brought in in cash flows and how much they haven't uh, at times when they were supposed to and and how much our pinball you know project has been delayed and how complex it is and trying to whittle down you know what we want to still do and what are we just going to wait to do so all of those things have have basically changed our direction many times over the last year to year and a half as we've become more and more focused in refining the engine into a lean, mean sort of engine that's that's ready to ready to go. And knowing that shows are oftentimes places people reveal, and you had big plans for TPF. And Robert, there's really not a show coming up that might make sense. I, I don't know. We might be in this thing all the way until Expo, and maybe that makes sense. But talk to me about launching Raza without a pinball show around that time period, is it still going to be the same inviting people down there to see it and then do an internet reveal in, in, in a way and with content? How would you launch this game without a major pinball show? I think that you're seeing, uh, you know, Jerry trying to make most of, you know, what he could do with Heist. And I, I think that, you know, that he's, he's done a good job of trying to get people to play it, uh, trying to have, you know, despite shelter or stay at home orders, trying to have games ready to sell and, and trying to um, uh, execute and um, basically get, get the sales while the sales are good here. Sometimes it's very difficult, right? You don't have a, a good decision. You have a lot of really bad options and you got to pick the least bad option. I don't know at this point. I, I think that the platform will be welcomed and understood from a distance. And I think that alone will drive some people to plop down their money without ever playing it first. But I, I do agree that, you know, sometimes uh, you, you just, it's very different getting on a game yourself on location and seeing how it plays and whether you really connect to it, where, which you just can't do even with the best stream, right? Streams are as good as, you know, the people playing it and the video and being able to digest the, the streaming content of what was shown. And I think that the Deep Root Machines is going to be even harder 
uh, to stream our games and and really convey the different feel that you're going to have with the physics and the overall experience. I, I don't know how to best answer that. We've had yeah. some thoughts, but I, I don't want to talk about them right now because they're they're pretty unique. Can I can I give you a non-unique suggestion from a, a marketer? Okay. I wouldn't even bother streaming it. I wouldn't even show much more than the sexy thing itself and just announce that here's a new John Papadou game. Here it is, 500 only. Order now, sell out, and move on. Spooky Pinball didn't even show the damn game. Sold out. <laughs> I mean, people will say it's because of the theme and maybe that, but but ultimately, you know what drives people in this hobby is the fear of missing out on a game more the, than anything. Well, I think that the underlying current is, I, I and I agree with you in many ways. I thank you for your advice. I think it's very good advice, but I would tell you, we are not going to be able to out, out supply uh, demand at this point. So, um, and it might be a while before that happens. So I, I could really care less about people playing it. I just think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to connect with, with our message and what we've come up with. And they're going to plop down their money and it's going to be money well spent. And we want to give them a, a great game. And I don't think at this point that, that I'm as worried about getting people to play it at first in order to make up their mind whether they're going to buy it. Especially with Raza, they're either going to, if they want one, they're either going to have to get up uh, and put their money up very quickly or they are going to be gone. Uh, it's just it's just how it's going to be even with you know the COVID situation. Right. Now I'm going to put you on the spot because we were talking about this earlier, but I want to ask you on the show, can you give us a little something, just a morsel to chew on of Raza since Houston? Just a little image, could be a teaser, could, you could even blur it out. No, don't blur it out. But I want to make it the image of this show. Could, could we get anything new, a new sculpt, a new the other art package, just a little section of the corner of the cabinet, anything? <laughs> Yes, I will. I will send you something, um, and and you can post it. Um, awesome. All right. So, Robert, I know you work with a lot of designers. How, who's your? I don't want you to pick favorites, but which one of your design team has really sort of surprised you, or or has been just super prolific in designs? Like, what's it been like? You've got Barry, you've got John Norris, you got John Papaduke. Am I missing anyone? I, I think they're all different. I think John Papaduke, because he went through the Zidware process has a lot of insight in a lot of different areas outside of design, you know, engineering, art, uh, et cetera. He's got a really good eye and a good knack for, uh, for conceptualizing things before we waste a lot of money um, actually, you know, making a prototype. So I, I love J-Pop because he, he just gets it, right? He's, he's multi-talented. Uh, I like Barry because Barry's just a workhorse. He's got, you know, the things he loves uh, that he puts into every play field. And if I ask him to do a play field a week for me or a game a week, he would do it. Uh, and he's he's always super agreeable. He's a great person to work with. And so, you know, Barry's done a lot of our games or has had his hand in a lot of our games um, that will come out. Uh, Dennis Nordman, I didn't get to work with him as much just because, you know, he he was he didn't live here in Texas. He, he stayed up there in Chicago, uh, well, North northern Illinois. Uh, Etc. and came down on on occasion. I think Dennis has a very uh, different approach to games. I think that he's he comes up with a theme and a general layout. And he kind of lets everyone else kind of uh, fill in the blanks, and you know that hands off approach. I think is is sometimes um, something we wish some of our other designers uh, would would do. But I think that uh, the games that we're doing of Dennis's that we've taken, uh, you know, the basic structure from him and really built the world out, uh, I think are going to be very fun games that I know that that I, I can't wait to uh, to see the final versions of. Uh, and as far as John Norris, John Norris is uh, he, he's just a really interesting guy. He he's an amazing person. I don't know how he flips the ball as good as he does, but but uh, he does. And he's, he's fun to talk with. You know, we we had the Hot Wheels. And um, we went to Mattel years ago. We wait, tried wait. to get Repeat it that. Twice. So you had you were pitching the Hot Wheels game. Oh yes, John Norris came up with an amazing design. That I, look, I, I wish American Pinball they beat us. You know, Mattel basically at the end of the day told us we've gone with someone else who we think is a better fit for us. And you know what? 
great on American Pinball for for stealing that away. And right now, after seeing what they've had, and I'm kind of glad they did because I, I think they did the best with what Mattel probably gave them to work with. They, they are not easy to work with uh, at, at all. Um, but I, I will say this is what the silver lining of that is, is that I, I know of a license that's probably harder to get than, uh, than you know, uh, Harry Potter that we're going after now that would be perfect for this layout, this amazing layout that, that John Norris did anticipating it for Hot Wheels. And so sometimes you just got to take and roll with the punches and realize that there's a silver lining there. And especially with John Norris, I mean, the guy is just a brainiac. And he thinks of the most, you know, intricate ways for the ball to interact with the play field. And that's a, it's still a fun shooter that can be done by someone who's never played pinball before up into being very, very uh, advanced, uh, you know, with advanced players. So I, I know that's not what you're asking. I, I like each of the, uh, the designers for their own unique thing, uh, unique way. And we... We might have some prizes with uh, or some surprises with some younger designers uh, here very shortly, which I I'll just kind of leave uh, leave it at that. Yeah, we, we can't wait to see this stuff from from everybody. And then coding these games. What's the coding situation? We know Steve Bowden is doing Raza. What's what's it like? Does he have support? Are there new coders on other games? What's the coding situation? Yeah, the coding situation is very, very broken up. Uh, and it, we've struggled with how to deal with the coding and it'll be more, you'll understand more when you, when you understand our platform uh, at launch, but I'll be able to say now there's basically four different, well, five, five different areas with coding. The first is the narrative and that's Quinn who comes up with all the narrative for the games and builds out the worlds and, and scripts, uh, you know, the anticipated voiceovers, the, the lines and scripting of animations, etc. That then goes to Steve Bowden, who starts translating all of that into a, a, a scripted rule set uh, on paper about how things are going to interact, what scoring is, uh, what the scoring does, modes, etc. That then goes to uh, Allison and Matt, uh, right now, um, who then script up the rule set in code. That code is then run by an engine uh, that has been built by Turner Logic, who offices with us. And then all the uh, front end GUI or Unity development is done by a Unity development team. So it's, it's more or less what you would see more with uh, a traditional video game studio than where uh, you would with most other pinball manufacturers, where most of that is just encompassed in, in a couple of, of people. Gotcha. Does Bowden have a, a game in his house in tech, is where he's living? Does he, does he live, eat, sleep this thing? What, what's it like for him? Uh, he doesn't have a Raza at his house. We haven't let Raza uh, ever leave other than Houston, ever leave the office, but for the two office locations. So Steve uh, does play here a lot, uh, but Steve is working a lot of different role sets on a lot of different games. So he isn't living and, and eating and drinking Raza all the time. And I think that's probably good for his sanity. Right, right. Is the office open right now? Can people go in to do work or are you guys full shutdown? So uh, the investment side is sort of because we have an exception uh, under the local state home orders. But, you know, pinball and tech and sports entertainment and all those are under stay at home. And so we only have one or two people coming in uh, that we're allowed to have in just to deal with infrastructure, security, et cetera. We're hoping, uh, you know, May 1st uh, or about there, uh, it'll be back open and we'll be able to bring our staff back. But we're doing as much as we can right now um, remotely. Uh, there's definitely a lot of things in pinball that you just can't do remotely. So we're, we're making do the best we can with uh, with what we have available. All right. Well, Robert, I really want to thank you for taking the time. I know this this was just supposed to be a phone call. We were talking. I was like, let's just do a show. This actually makes it easier for me because I don't really need to do a deep dive into Deep Root Expose because here we are. That, that Everyone's waiting. I think you know that, Robert. What, what would you say to the people that are just like, Ship the game. <laughs> um, I think there's a, a lot of people who deserve uh, and ri have rightfully said that. However, I think that I can speak for myself in a very selfish way. And I know for a lot of my employees would probably share that. We've spent too much time and we pour too much passion into this to ship a game without 
having some context and and our moment in in the lights. Uh, and so that launch will come very shortly. It should have already come, but it'll come very shortly. And, and Razos will be out in the fields and gracing, you know, you know, barcades and other entertainment joints that'll be coming back online in, in homes uh, before, before you know it. So awesome. Awesome. Well, we all look forward to it. And I thank you for, for joining the show, you know, and I need I need content. We're, we're running out of things to talk about in the pinball podcasting world. So, Robert, I thank you for taking an hour and, and talking to the listeners about, about Deep Root and, and how things are going and, and what we can look forward to as, as the world gets back to normal. And, and we're all looking forward to seeing what you guys are working on. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, you know, look, it is what it is. Uh, pinball is still relevant. You know, things will be different. You know, the world is what you make of it uh, after this uh, craziness uh, is done with. So... I encourage everyone to, as you always say, to make the most of life and the connections that you have right now. And pinball will come. It'll come back. Don't worry. Well said. Well said. Well, stay safe, Robert. You and your family. Hope you're staying safe and healthy. And and we look forward to the day in which Canada can possibly order a working John Papaduke title. I got my money ready. I got my money ready. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thank you. Don't like, baby. Don't believe everything you read. Visualize what you can't see.